Hi everyone, it's Kino here. Thanks so much for joining me on Seek Up, the yoga inspiration show. I am so grateful for you and grateful to you for tuning in and sharing this journey with me. I am overwhelmed with how many people come up to me and say that they're really enjoying this type of communication, teaching, and sharing. So thank you so much for being a part of this journey of yoga, this journey of spirituality, this journey of mindfulness, this journey of seeking wisdom. More than anything else, this is meant to support the seeker's journey, meant to support you on the path. If you find this series of teaching really beneficial, the way that you can support this series is to become a member of the Om Stars yoga community and practice. We have decided to make this series free and available to everyone so that no matter where you are in the world, you can get the teachings that will hopefully provide sustenance for the seeker's journey. And for those of you that can become a member and give your support, please know that I appreciate it. And I'll see you on the mat real soon. The journey from the practice is um, quite deep. And it's something that takes time and something that really can't be rushed. So even a month of practice is kind of a drop in the ocean of what will hopefully turn out to be a lifetime of practice. If we think about this short period of time, just one month of the course of our lives, one morning to practice, one moment to speak or talk, then this is really just a drop in the ocean of what you can think about as perhaps a lifetime of practice. To begin the journey of the yoga practice, is something that you answer, like a call that you answer from within. And to take time out of your life for dedicated, immersive study is an even stronger call that you answer. And it's not something that everybody does. So you have to take a moment and acknowledge the work that you put in, that you answered that call, that that was within you. Even just to give a Saturday morning to the practice, to come repeatedly over and over to your mat against the many different pulls that are out there in our lives is an accomplishment. So that has to be honored always, first and foremost. And to understand that there is no easy way to transmit the knowledge of yoga. We cannot say that you have now received the knowledge just because we've memorized, for example, Sanskrit vinyasa counts right? Which uh, many of you have been studying very intensively about. But the idea is that just because a certain feat or measurable kind of metric has been accomplished, that doesn't necessarily mean that the transmission of yoga is complete. And this is something that each student on the path needs to contemplate and think about, right? So where are we on our path? Where are we on our journey? Are we, uh, you know, um, are we in the stage where we just want to immerse ourselves more and more in the practice? Or do we feel that, you know, um, there's another way we can honor the tradition? So sometimes what happens is after we do an immersive kind of intensive course of study, the first thing that comes up is, well, I want to start teaching, you know? So this question of, am I ready to teach? 
do I teach now, now that I've completed this month of study? Should I, am I ready to teach? So I thought that I wanted to share with everyone um, kind of my first experience of, of teaching yoga. And when I started practicing, under no circumstances did I ever think I would be a yoga teacher. And under no circumstances did I start practicing or joining any immersions with the intention of trying to gain skills to become a teacher. Uh, when I found the practice of yoga, it answered something in me that was, um, you know, it healed things that were broken and it answered something deep in my soul. I just wanted to practice more and practice more and practice more. And when I found out that the, 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 that the lineage holders of Ashtanga yoga were still available and holding classes and you could meet these people, but I just had to, you know, uh, fly to India and practice with them. Like there was nothing else I wanted to do. So I just arranged everything that I could possibly do to spend two months there. And surprisingly, when I came back from India, everybody thought that I had now been ready to teach. But the exact opposite happened for me. I had met Patabi Joyce, who'd been practicing and teaching long, like three times my age at the time that I went there. And everybody that was teachers in that community had been practicing for more than 10 years and had given so much of themselves to make repeated trips to India to immerse themselves in the lineage. So after these two months of practice, the only thing that I was 100% sure of is that I was not qualified to teach. Right? And then still, under, in no world did I want to be a yoga teacher. I was in graduate school for my master's degree, and I thought that I had all these different career paths, none of which involved teaching yoga. I wanted to, I, and, and when I came back from India, I applied in kind of a frantic um, kind of desperation to probably 10 different internships in New York City, trying to find a career path that could somehow you know, work. I applied in a, in a record company, in a marketing company, in a magazine, in a literary agency, and in a think tank, and this, and, and I, everything. Everything but trying to be a yoga teacher. But the thing that happened for me when I came back from India is as um, people started talking to me. And when, for example, my master's uh, thesis advisor, uh, the first thing he said, I, I had this meeting with him where I was going to propose my thesis. Oh, this is my thesis. I'm, sat there, you know, with all these different documents and evidence and presented this thesis to him. And then he said, I just want to stop you. And I thought, oh, no, he's rejecting my idea. I haven't even completed the presentation. I'm already being rejected. He said, you seem different. And I thought, seem different? Does that mean that you don't accept my thesis? That's all I was thinking of. He said, what did you do over the summer? You seem different. You did something. And I thought, nah. yeah, I mean, I went to India. I met this uh, yoga master. I spent two months studying Ashtanga yoga. Oh, wow. Tell me more about that. I thought, oh, no. Can we just talk about my thesis, please? But then I thought, my thesis advisor, I better do what he says. So I started telling him about what I learned. And he immediately said, wow, that sounds really wonderful. You spent two months training with this yoga master. Please come and teach me yoga. And I thought, no, 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 no. Uh, it wasn't a training. I was just a student. I don't want, I'm not a yoga teacher. I'm completely unqualified. Under no circumstances am I a yoga teacher. And I took out a piece of paper and I wrote down the names of all the Ashtanga teachers that I knew in New York City. And I handed them to him and I said, please go. To, these are the best teachers in New York City. I am not one of them. Please go and um, go and practice with them. And then he listened to the rest of my thesis and he said, oh, well, you got another meeting next week. And then the next week I came and he said, I talked with my wife and we want you to come and teach us. <laughs> and I thought, 
Oh, what about me giving you the names of 10 different yoga teachers in New York City says that I'm, I said, no. Uh, but then I also got scared and thought, well, he's my thesis advisor. So, um, <laughs> and then I said, I'm not a yoga teacher. And uh, I said, I, I, will, I will potentially be available to come and maybe tell you what I've learned, but it's not a class and I'm not a teacher and I won't accept any payments, you know? And then and he, and he was like, great. So Tuesday at 6 p.m., you'll be over and it'll be great. And I thought, this is horrible. Um, I tried to bring other people that I knew that were teachers because there's no payment. They were like, no, we're not going to go to your thesis advisor. So I showed up and I, you know, shared with him the sun salutations and the standing poses, gave no adjustments and left. Um, and then um, because he was my thesis advisor, I did it a few more times. And this happened to me repeatedly. So that people would stop me on some path that I was on. I was, I was working as a journalist, as a freelance journalist. In the middle of an interview, someone would say, are you really a journalist? Which is the last thing that someone <laughs> who is like desperately trying to like craft a career path in their early 20s is like really looking to see. Like really feeds well into your imposter syndrome kind of feelings of low self-worth. Is that really what you do? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm totally a journalist. Something else that you do? <laughs> well, I mean, I also do this yoga. Yoga, oh, tell me more about that. So this is like in the world before, the, before uh, there was YouTube. This is in the world before there, you could really Google things. There was like America Online and Yahoo. Um, so people were interested to hear first-person accounts. And it always ended with, will you come on Wednesday night at around 6 p.m. and teach me what you've learned? No. This is New York City. Here's the list. I started carrying this list around of teachers. I'm trying to like, like, you know, they should be paying me to promote their classes. But, it, um, you know, and I had a really guilty conscience about all those little classes that I taught. I gave no adjustments. I, told, I talked the Surya Namaskar and the sun salutations. And then I left. I said, it's really, it's all I can do. I'm really not available to teach you more than that. I'd only really learned the primary series from my teachers in India so I didn't really feel that I, I could even teach the primary series because I had only just learned and practiced primarily that for two months. And then when I went back to India for the second time, I made a plan to spend six months there. And one of the first things that I did within the first couple of weeks that I was practicing is I uh, sat in my teacher's office with a really guilty conscience because I felt I needed to go to like yoga confession. Um, I felt I'd done something wrong because he didn't tell me that I could teach. And these people were out there asking me to teach. And I sat with this question of, you know, what do I do? But I felt more than anything, they needed to tell him that this had happened. So I went there and I said, you know, my teacher, I really have something I need to talk to you about. He was like, okay, sit down, talk. I thought, no, oh, so really, I'm really sorry. I've done something really bad. And I really just want you to know. And, um, there are some people, they've asked me to learn yoga and I, I taught them. And I like put my hand over my head um, and like covered my eyes. And he said, you're teaching? And I said, ah, yeah, that's not exactly like I didn't, I didn't give any adjustments. I just, uh, it was just the sun salutations. I'm really sorry. I, I know. And he looked at me and he said, you're teaching. Okay, no problem. And I thought, okay, no problem. I was ready for like, I don't know, take 20 Surya Namaskars and like, you know what I mean? I was ready for like the Catholic treatment or something. Um, and then he said, next time you take authorization, you know? And, um, and so that was like the formal blessing to teach. And it really wasn't until I got the formal blessing from my teacher to teach that I felt confident about teaching in the most traditional manner. 
So I started to reflect back on, and what's the most traditional manager? The most traditional manner of practicing and teaching Ashtanga yoga is Mysore style Ashtanga yoga teaching. And there are many different ways to share the knowledge of the method. And there are many different sort of levels. So I reflect back on that whenever I, you know, work with a group of students that's gone through an immersive experience that might leave you with this question of, am I ready to teach? What do I do with this knowledge? If someone in my community asks me, what do I do? So there's always this, this, um, this question that's a question more than an answer. And if I reflect back on my own journey, some things that um, some people told me along the way were that if a couple of things, which is, first of all, if there's no one else and there's only you. So if it's you or no one, it has to be you, right? How it's you, it's something that matters with humility, with respect for the lineage, with a constant point towards that you're not the last stop on the path is extremely important, especially if you're newer on the path. For me, it was very important to take no money for teaching for a very, very long time um, because I felt that it wasn't, at first I felt it wasn't my career. I was trying to earn money in other ways. I never wanted, um, you know, that wasn't, it wasn't like I set on, like now I'm going to make this, you know, um, I'm going to go to India to try to get a career. I thought I was doing that in New York, but um, it didn't work out that way. Uh, so the second thing is that it's a different methodology of teaching to share sun salutation, standing poses, talk people through the practice, and just kind of in, in sort of a generous act of sharing than it is to hold space in a traditional Mysore style Ashtanga yoga program. There are two different things. And it took me a long time to realize that. Um, some people in the community were when I first started practicing and ventured into talking about teaching, uh, the people that were in the community in Mysore in India, when I was talking to them about teaching, everybody said, don't be in a rush to teach in the traditional manner. Don't be in a rush. Why are you in a rush? Don't be in a rush. Don't be in a rush. Just be a student for as long as you can. Be a student for as long as you can. You need to teach. Guided classes are great to teach. Beginner classes are great to teach. But holding space for a Mysore program is something else. And there are a couple of things that, I, that I've learned, having now been a part of this tradition for more than 20 years, is that the Mysore style method of teaching is very hard to, um, it's very hard to communicate what actually goes on in the Mysore room. Is it just that someone's there giving assists? Is it just that you're there to bring a hand over here? It's something more that's, that, that, that's communicated and it's very, and it takes time and experience to learn that. And it's something that we call or, or understand more as sort of holding space for the practice. And the, the experience that you have gone through, that adds to your ability to hold the space of the practice, much more so than sharing, say, sun salutation, standing poses in a way that's sort of a generous sharing of the practice. To hold space in the Mysore style method requires a firm grounding in your own practice. The second thing that I've learned in that is that Mysore style teaching is very difficult. It's difficult on you physically. It's difficult on you emotionally. It's, and, and the first thing that suffers if you're not well grounded in your practice, meaning if you don't have five or 10 years of practice under your belt, the first thing that suffers is your own practice. Injuries come, all sorts of things come that can easily derail your own personal practice if you're not well grounded in the practice. The other thing that some kind of, um, things that people shared with me when I was first on the journey is that when you, when you, whenever you complete a series, that doesn't mean you're ready to teach it, right? 
so what I, what some members of the community had shared with me and including, um, you know, including Shadaji has also said that you're qualified to teach what you've been past. So for example, when you finish, when you get into starting and you're grounded in second series at that moment, primary series starts to make sense. When you've been practicing third series, then you can look back. Oh, second series starts to make sense in a different way. And from that paradigm, the long-term relationship of the practice changes. So the teaching changes. The long-term relationship to the practice gives you knowledge and wisdom that can't come when you snap your fingers. So it's important to think about these different things in regards to the question of, you know, am I ready to teach? If people are asking you, that means that there's a need. So if there's a need in your community, answer the need, but constantly question how is it that I can best serve in this moment, both myself as a student, the lineage, the practice, and my teachers. Because one thing that's important um, is that when, when you work with a teacher, you work kind of with their authority with you. Uh, and that's important to, to think about, you know? So this is kind of how I started teaching um, and how I got my sort of official authorization to teach. And I feel like that, that um, it's important for every student on the path to consider, is my path going to take me to be a yoga teacher or is my path going to take me to be of service in some other way? There's so many ways to be of service to the yoga path and the yoga community that may or may not always involve teaching. The yoga, you know, so that's something to consider as well. Like maybe my path is to help yoga teachers, like, I don't know, run better businesses. The yoga community could definitely use that. Maybe it's to, you know, make charitable contributions in some way. Maybe it's to work in a yoga related business, you know, that helps keep the integrity of that business, whether it's, you know, online offerings or yoga clothes or mats or other things that can support the yoga community in some way or another. You know, there are numerous ways to give back and to work within the, the, the yoga community that may or may not involve teaching. So that's something to just kind of put in our minds. So that was kind of what I wanted to talk about and you know we talked about that so I'll pass it over to you now Tim. <laughs> so I'd like to talk about yoga business. <laughs> I know that's your specialty. <laughs> Especially marketing on Instagram, marketing right? Marketing on Instagram, I'm really good at it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't really know what to say. <clears throat> I think I started a similar place, like you know, with like not really wanting, not being interested in the yoga uh, uh, paradigm for anything else and my own big fit. <laughs> I, would, I, uh, I just wanted to practice because I felt it was really good for me in many ways, in many ways. And um, <clears throat> so I did that for a long time. Uh, and then at some moment I met Kino. And she said, uh, Tim, you have so much experience from before, being a dancer and working with a choreographer and teaching dance and so forth. <clears throat> you should teach yoga. And then I, then these famous words came out of me. <clears throat> I said, I would rather get down on my knees and die than become <laughs> intention to start to teach yoga. Yeah. There was other things that was more interesting for 
for me to do that I wanted to do, and um, also like you know, I I didn't feel I had the qualification, you know, to uh, to start that up. For me, yoga was a five thousand year uh, tradition that I was dabbling in uh, with great benefit to myself. <clears throat> so it's a little bit like you know you doing your green juices at home on your little you know blender, and then someone says, "Could you make green juices for the whole neighborhood?" It's like, I don't think so. <laughs> so for me, it was like that. But a couple of things happened. Uh, I lived in Copenhagen and uh, was learning Ashtanga Yoga in Europe. And uh, I was asked to come and help out and sop. Uh, that was the first situation. Um, then I started to lock some of the Ashtanga Yoga like sun salutations and couple things in when I was teaching dance. Um, and then I started to put more and more yoga exercises into my dance class to the degree where I was thinking, what am I teaching these days? You know, am I teaching dance or am I teaching yoga? Um, so there was some kind of like schism <clears throat> with that. And then a couple of years later, I moved here to Miami and I didn't have anything to do. So uh, there was a yoga, yoga school down in Coconut Grove that asked if I would come and teach uh, yoga classes, if I would teach Mysore style. And I thought that they had a Mysore program and they needed me to cover a couple of classes. So I said, all right, I'll help you out. I think I can do that. So uh, I started to do that. <clears throat> and then after some weeks, I said, when is the teacher coming back? <laughs> and then they said, like, you're the teacher. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, and it's like, this is your program. And I kind of didn't get it, you know, so I kept going for a while like that. And then finally I realized I had to take responsibility for what I'm doing in this world. Kind of these students are not someone else's students that I'm in an interim, like bridging a gap. Like I had to try to figure out why I'm here, what I want, wanted to do today and what I don't want to do, you know, things like that. So. And then uh, in the process of that, we opened up the yoga center on Miami Beach, Miami Life Center. Uh, and uh, by now I had been to Mysore, I think, three, four times. And Sabi Joyce he's, he authorized me to teach. Uh, so that took, took four years, you know, approximately. Under his tutelage and before I went to Mysore, I practiced Ashtanga Yoga for about five years. So we are like nine years in now until I kind of begin to commit to the possibility of holding the room uh, uh, for myself in practice. Uh, and I think you probably agree, the first years I was very much like, I'm not quite sure this is what I should be doing, you know? Like, <laughs> you were also trying to, you know, make dance performances here in Miami. Yes, and, and, yeah. you know, like move back and forth. I was still involved in, in choreography and such. Uh, so I was like a little bit back and forth with that. <clears throat> but uh, I feel like somewhat I was lucky. I had the possibility of coming in with less pressure. Someone said, would you please teach this today for me? And I'll be like, whoa, that was like more than I could handle on. And then slowly it'll build like that. And I remember when we met, you were doing some traveling already. And you said to me, Tim, you know that like anatomy thing that you know, could you come and teach a 20-minute segment on that in my workshop this afternoon. 
So I would be like, okay. So I would hang out in the workshop and Keenan would say, one, two, three, go. Yeah, yeah, it's a joint, it's is constructed of, you know, like something, right? And then we would like do copyright exercises on that. And I felt that when I got into the yoga community and when I went to my soul, I felt that I uh, had some insights in how the body works that the general yoga did not. So I thought, oh, I can do some good here. You know, if Christina gets to know her knee joint, she might not pop the second knee, you know, you know things like that. So I guess I suppose I saw a function for me there that then grew in that way. Um, I hear you. But I think it's a it, like Kino says. <clears throat> um, Hello, Federica. I see you up there. How are you? Um, so um, I think, like Kino says, I think. Uh, the ideal way to move into sharing this tradition is to just spend a lot of time with it. And then when you can't hold the floods back anymore, then submit to the pressure and, and, and share it with whoever has authority over you so you can't say no, <laughs> whether that's your thesis master or whoever it is. Um, but to jump too early into teaching, I think it's uh, it might be fun at first, but it very quickly uh, dries. We, we dry up. And even I'd say, like, we speak a lot about it here at My Life Center, that if we don't go back to my soul, which is kind of our root, where it was our source, if we don't go back regularly, like once a year, at least every second year, we feel like we dry up. We feel like, oh my God, you know, I'm just standing here and working with this yoga and I'm doing this thing, but, and I'm practicing every day, but I need to go to my teacher and get some juice back. So then we go to my soul, we stay there for a month or two, and then we come back. And then we're kind of on fire for two, three months, and then that starts to kind of wean a little bit. And then after a year, it's like, I need more juice. And then we go again, best we can. Not been a while. Is it three years or something? Pre-COVID, pre we were there. We're going again in December uh, to my soul to practice on the Shalak. Did I cover the subject? <laughs> I think so. Well, I think you, should, you said you wanted to reflect on what they had asked you to give more qualification to the questions that the course students had asked you about oh. teaching. Oh, yeah. So some of you here has just completed last practice today. Some of you here have just completed. <laughs> uh, it's the last practice today. Um, and yesterday, uh, the day before, we had some a conversation about when to start teaching. And some of you asked me, can I start teaching now and stuff? And... We had some conversation and I kind of didn't really know what to say. <clears throat> and um, when I came home, I realized I was kind of a little uncomfortable perhaps with that conversation. And I, I just thought when I came home that I wish we had been talking about practicing instead of teaching. Because that would, I think this is like this course is the form for that more than anything. And um, I came home and I said to Kim, you know, we had this conversation and I kind of got caught off guard a little bit. And the students were asking me, should I be teaching? Should I be teaching? And what? I live far away and I live in Norway and I live here and I live there. Like, 
she was like, so what did you say? I was like, well, I kind of like give them a wish wash about this and that. <clears throat> and um, they asked if they should teach guided classes and, and Mysore. Uh, so what did you say? I said, ah. she was like, so I said, what do you think? No. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know, that's a good place to, that's a good place to start, you know. Um, so like the basic idea, and I agree is like, and I think I did, did uh, say that like, like a one, one month immersion plus whatever you've done before, it's just not, it's not going to set you up for a fulfilling experience for anybody, for yourself, for ourselves and for, for anything. Uh, and one of the thing that, one of the first thing that you will lose is your practice. Because as soon as we start to pass it on, we begin to divert our attention and so forth. So, and, and if we lose our practice, we lose our source. So then it's kind of all over. And, and I, I do think there is a big difference between teaching Mysore style and then coming in and doing like a beginner class or even half primary and then kind of, you know, minimal assists and these sorts of things and have it not be your main gig kind of thing. I think there's a big difference between doing something like that and starting a Mysore program. You know, and it's just the, if you're, if you're really inspired and you're like, I really want to teach, I really want to be in that teaching area, the one of the best, especially in the Mysore room, one of the best ways to do that is to find a teacher who's nearby and you can say, can I, can I assist? Can I help out at the studio? I want to be more in the space. Um, when you're available, can I do that? Or for example, to, if you don't live near someone, then say, Okay, the next that you could ask us, the next time you practice, you know, can I help out as well as, you know, since I've done the course, can I assist? How do I keep learning? How do I keep learning? This kind of thing is, is a very, very good way to think about, um, you know, going deeper into the practice. Yeah. Some of you met Karen, that was assistant Keena this week. So that's, uh, she was in I'm the- I'm doing this for the microphone. Some of you. <laughs> Um, I just tell Kino the whole thing. So some of you was <laughs> some of you was in Kino's master class this week, and um, you met Karen. She was in the course last year, and she asked, "How can I learn more? How can I, you know, dig a little deeper?" And Kino said, "Come and and uh, assist me this this week." So she started assisting this week, but she was kind of nervous about it. So she asked Esme. Can I assist you for a week or two before I go and assist Kino? So I'm prepared to be in that class. So she did that. Uh, and I think it worked out really well, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, talented girl, mm -hmm. lady. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely something that we make available to people that have been practicing with us is that then that allows you the opportunity to continue to learn. You know, it's like a doorway that is opened and you can continue down that path. And then again, it's still that, you know, that learning path. And then that's a safer way to, for example, enter into a teaching space because now you're not holding the space on your own that allows you to learn more of the transmission and allows you to learn what the atmosphere is like. It allows you to think about, um, you know, you, you, you know, you go in with an inquisitive mind of, oh, well, I would have, I wanted to help them. Why didn't they help them? You know, or, oh, I would have done that, but they didn't do that. Why? And then you can ask sort of questions and think about that and get feedback on how you're assisting and how you hold the space in the room. 
So not every amazing practitioner makes a good teacher and different teachers hold the space of the rooms in different ways. So I'll give you an example. There's a student um, uh, who was practicing with me for some time, some years ago, who was a great, really, really wonderful student. And the student said, you know, I want to learn from you. I want to be your assistant. And so I said, great. Now her energy as an assistant wasn't in line with my teaching, even though as a student, she always added great energy into the room. But as soon as she stepped into the role of authority of any type, she had a very different energy uh, and a very different intention. Uh, and it took a, and, and, and it, it, you know, it took a little bit, a, a good amount of time to help her understand that, oh, well, actually this is my space. And these are the things uh, that are really important for me to have in the room. And it's not necessarily something that you get as a student as well. So this is a, it takes time to understand. And uh, it takes time to understand different, what sort of the, the, the presence and the atmosphere that different teachers bring to the room. And it's a little bit like, you know, you, there's all sorts of different cafes that are out there, you know, and some cafes may make really good food, but you don't like the atmosphere. You've been in a cafe like that where the food's good. You don't like the atmosphere, like too loud or something like that. And there's like the kind of people that go in there, but the food's really good. So you're like, maybe I'll give it another try. Or maybe you decide to just get takeout from that cafe. The food is really good, but you don't like the atmosphere. Maybe another one, you like the atmosphere, but the food is bad. You know, probably you go there more, <laughs> maybe. Um, but maybe there's a place where the atmosphere is good and the food is good. It connects with you other people for all those other spaces. So it's not necessarily like, this is the way, this is just like, this is uh, our cafe. This is kind of what we do here. And if it connects with you, then it's interesting to think about, well, if you want to make a cafe of your own, how do I learn from the people, you know, that have the atmosphere that I like to model it, to study it, you know, and to, to work with it. Yeah. I think what you can hear from Kino and what you can hear from me also, what you can hear from Kino and what you can hear from me also is we, we think like teaching is a big deal, you know, like passing, like teaching in general, but, and also like pass, passing this tradition on is a big deal. Uh, from the yogic perspective, uh, from the, uh, that part of the world uh, perspective, um, knowledge is sacred. And, and when you find the truth, you try not to mess with it. And it's very hard to find the truth. And, it's, and when we find the truth, it's very hard not to, to contaminate it. And we usually contaminate stuff when we haven't understood it. You know, we usually, like, we add stuff into it when we had, haven't understood it uh, enough. So the process of really trying to, to get our hands on the value of the whole thing and on, by understanding what's going on, and then trying to pass it on without inserting ourselves into it is a big deal. Um, and from my own perspective, I started to do uh, uh, yoga because of physical health. And then, and because I thought it was so cool, I thought like, look, look how my body is this crazy position. Check me out. So um, I thought that was super fun. Uh, made, made me very enthusiastic about the whole thing. And then um, I started to experience uh, pretty uh, early on 
some new experiences that I hadn't experienced before, like which we could call up like an other kind or like what, like a gateway, like psychological healing, emotional healing, things like that, and gateway to like some spiritual dimension or something, maybe. Um, mm. Two things that stood out was um, uh, a yearning for forgiveness and a great sense of gratefulness. And I was like, I was in my 20s, I was like, what? <laughs> Where is this coming from? I didn't quite get it. You know, it's just like, eh. anyhow. Um, and then I started to practice more and more. And I came, when I started to go to India, to Mysore, and I started to uh, get my feet wet in this whole culture. Um, and I could see how that was tying into these yoga movements that I was doing on my mat. And I was trying to understand more. So I started to study the background, the thesis for it. And at some moment, I realized it's Patanjali, it's the Yoga Sutras that I should like home in on, try to figure out what's going on. And then I started to study that and I realized I don't understand a thing. And then I started to realize, oh, I start to understand what Patanjali maybe is aiming at. But there's two other components in his thesis that I need to study to really understand what he says. Uh, so I started to, st started to study that. And then these are the thesis, these are the texts. Um, they led again to such discoveries. And I realized that when I was sitting in front of my philosophy teachers, he would quote at least 10 different texts every time that we was, he was talking about the sutras. So for him to explain what was in that text, he was drawing upon 10 or more other texts. So suddenly it became so big and it became so evident, so clear that the more I, I got to know, the less I knew. It's just like every time I opened, you know, uh, I got a new realization, like five new doors opened. And <clears throat> my ability, my time, um, and my intelligence and my ability to memorize things is stood in the way of learning all these things. I just simply didn't have mental capacity and time to go there. So it's like, all right, I can only learn this. I'm going to have to let go of that constantly like that. So that made it very clear for me that it is very limited what I know. And it's a very limited even what I can know. Um, so for me, uh, a good day is where I practice and I teach and I study and I have some fun times for myself. That's a perfect day yeah, for me. And if you take any of those out of it, it's like, eh, too much fun today, too little practice today, too, you know, some, some of that. So. The other thing that you could think about is that in most other professions, so if you're thinking about becoming um, any other profession, it's going to take a while. You know, you have to either get the four-year college education, then you have some graduate work or some specialized training you do. Sometimes we consider uh, the work of yoga and the spiritual path as an operation that we perform on the mind. So the only other people that are operating are doctors, you know, and it takes a while before you want to hand somebody a scalpel. You know, so you don't want somebody that like watched how to perform brain surgery on YouTube and then be like, you know what? <laughs> I got it now. Yeah. 
That sounds great. Let's get some, you know, black market anesthesia and go for it. You know what I mean? Or I'll just take a shot of bourbon and let's, uh, you know, call it a day. You might actually be calling it a day if you go for that method. So, so the things like takes a long time to be a doctor. Like we understand that. At the same time, use that same methodology. So say you have like a first year medical student and there's no one else. Yeah, that person can do more good than someone who's just watched Grey's Anatomy a few times. You know? So if we want to, you know, think about that. It's true. Like if there's no one else in here there, like do it, share the knowledge. At the same time, respect the process. You know, it is this kind of operation that we're that we're going on in the mind. And we, we have to do that operation on ourselves over and over again. And on make sure we got it right before we go operating on somebody else. Yeah. So we want to leave time for some questions. We don't want to just talk. And we could probably just talk and talk. But the, are there do you, are there any questions? Especially, sure, go ahead. More than the questions, the comments. I am. Um, I think it's really important that we have this follow-up conversation because I'm a college teacher myself, and so I understand that teaching is a vocation that takes a lot of time and. Um, I not only had to do a PhD, but I had to do two postdocs. It took me 10 years right. to finally step into the classroom. And even then, you know, I still have to do a lot of work around pedagogy. And yes. so it's, it's incredibly humbling to be a teacher and it's a huge responsibility. And I couldn't imagine, you know, after taking a few teacher trainings or uh, programs like this, stepping into a classroom. I respect it too much, and I respect uh, the lineage, and I respect people like yourself that are doing the work. So, thank you for giving us this insight about teaching. Thanks, Blakey. So when I decided to leave the API, it was not to become a teacher. I'm like, no, you're not to become a teacher. <laughs> it was just to improve my own practice. And just a comment about it. It's like, for me, at the end, it makes me realize how much I know nothing. And I've been practicing for around five years. And, uh, and it also like makes me have another level of respect for all the teachers that already taught me, it's so hard. Like when you try like to learn something like that counts, it's so hard. So I can't even imagine like to just do normal training and training it's another, it's another dimension. So, but I think the core of the API was great for open and make me even more humble about like how I know nothing and how much more research I need to do to reach and improve not only my physical practice, but like my mind, the whole yoga meditation that I am. For everybody at home, they're not asking questions. They're just <laughs> saying that they're grateful. <laughs> Looks like they have a question on Zoom. Is there a question on Zoom? Is there a question on Zoom? Yeah. Okay. You want to read oh, that out, That's quite a question. Why don't you read that up and, okay. and then we'll take another question here while you read up on that. You want to do that? Or you just want to? No, I have to read it. All right. Yes. Um, about, so, 
Yeah, that's a good question. So you definitely want to, so in, in when we do the alternate nostril breathing, which has many different names in many different traditions, you know, so like in Ashtanga yoga, Nadi Shodhana, we refer to as um, either second series asana practice or, a, or an alternate nostril breathing practice with breath retentions. When we do the alternate nostril breathing, uh, like we did after the class today, we in Ashtanga yoga, we usually just call that Anulom Vulom. But uh, it doesn't matter. We understand what we're talking about. Yes, your bandhas are engaged. The correct drishti should be the nose. But um, I have a little, like, I enjoy to close the eyes, which I've been yelled at many times before, so don't do that. Um, the correct drishti is the nose. Um, so there is there are different uh, pranayama or breathing traditions that work with um, uh, doing, uh, holding the, the throat a little bit in, um, for the breathing with sound, with the alternate nostril breath, and there are some that don't. So what I usually say is if you find it helpful to extend the breath and equalize inhalation and exhalation, then you can keep the um, breathing with sound that you control also with the throat. But if you don't need that, then you don't have to do that also for the alternate nostril breathing. Do you um, recommend that they, for encourage students to practice having a little bit more there, or how should they approach practicing very fast? Well, I think it's a case-by-case case thing. <clears throat> I think it's a case-by-case case situation. It depends on what modification is needed and uh, uh, why the modification is needed. Is it uh, a disease? You know, is it an injury? Is it just a tightness? Uh, is it just like, I'm new to this, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing? Uh, so I think that depends on that. But um, in my own teaching, I give up till half primary pretty freely because I think there's so many benefits of doing half primary series. Um, with modifications or without modifications. Uh, from half primary and on, it starts to be such a big commitment. Like half primary is about a 45 minutes an hour practice. I think it's pretty perfect for myself too. It's like, yeah, that's just about the amount of practice I prefer every day. Um, and when we start to add on to that, first of all, it gets a little complicated for a while. And then also now we're talking an hour and a half to two hours practice. And we're trying to do it regularly, almost daily if possible. So to take an hour and a half out of your schedule every day is really hard. Whereas to take half an hour, maybe even one hour out of the, your schedule to practice is more doable. So I generally prefer to say, do best you can up to half primary, stick with that for a long time, see the changes in your body, let that um, um, convince you about how beneficial this is to you in body, mind, and spirit. And then let's see if you want to, if you're turned on or not. If you're turned on, let's go on. If you're not, let's keep to this or change to CrossFit. <laughs> so. Oh, sure, Wanda, go ahead. Um, I, I'm always very impressed of your power of communication, like how you 
my my question is has you always like that or you oh <laughs> 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 uh, you were more shy before Oh, that's an interesting question, Wanda. I don't know. Maybe it's a question more for my mom than for me. So Wanda says that she's for everyone at home that didn't hear a question. She said she was very impressed with my communication. And she was asking if I was always like that or if I was shy. Um, so sometimes I like not to talk at all. So absolutely. But I have always been interested in communication, in speech, in, um, you know, uh, public speaking and writing. I've always been interested in that. Absolutely. For my whole life. I've always been interested in that. You know, I had another like a whole when I said I was in, you know, I, I had a whole like trajectory that I was on in um, high school where I was on like I, I had a whole plan that I thought that I was going to do with my life which is um, I was like writing for the school newspaper and I was on the debate team and I, you know, I graduated fifth in my high school class out of like a thousand people and was on this path that I thought that I was going to go to law school and be a lawyer and work and like, you know, somehow pursue some kind of career in law, politics, something like that. And, um, you know, I had, all, I had like scholarships to these schools based on doing debate, which is like public speaking. But then when I was in, when I was a senior in high school, like debate season ended and um, I wasn't preparing for the next debate season. And um, I don't know, like two months went by and one, one Sunday morning I woke up and I felt so happy and I didn't know why I was so happy. And then like, I was just kind of hanging out on the Sunday and then I thought, why have I not been happy for the last four years of my life on the weekends? What have I been doing? And then I suddenly had this vision of debate, you know, what I, every weekend I would like go to a different school. We were like, we're on this debate team that would travel around the whole U.S. It was in Boston and then we were in Minneapolis and we were in Chicago and we're over here and I saw snow for the first time. Ah! Um, traumatizing in its own world. <laughs> um, but... And then, and then, and then I just like all these images. And if I did really, really well, then I would win the argument, and the other person would lose. You know, like they were like loser. You know what I mean? And then I saw that for the past four years of my life, I dedicated my free time to scheduled arguing. <laughs> and I just like every weekend I argue, like I'm professional. I'm like arguing. I'm like, and then I'm like, oh, if I follow this career path, my profession will be arguing. Then I'm going to argue nine to five. So now, not only the weekend, I'm going to argue like all day, Saturday, all day, Sunday. And if I do really well, then the other people, they feel like crap. So the interaction with me, I feel awesome because I won. I'm the winner. I get a trophy, you know, first place, you know, even like prize money. And then they leave. They feel annihilated. They feel like loser. So that was my, that was my interaction with these human beings, you know? And I realized, no wonder I'm miserable. I'm miserable for four years. I'm spread misery around. If I do really well, then everybody around me is miserable. And then people are like, yay. And I thought, yeah, I quit. I can't do it. I can't spend my life like this under no circumstances. Will I make my profession arguing? No. So I, I refused. I turned down all the scholarships that I got, much to my parents' dismay. <laughs> and I went to like some, you know, like liberal arts school where definitely nobody was arguing. 
<laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I spend a lot of time, I think, like, practicing, uh, forming thoughts and communicating them. But then I decided not, maybe not to use those for spreading misery. You know, and of course, I'm not saying that all lawyers do that. We need to, you know, there's a part of me that, like, on some level, kind of, like, wishes I would have gone to law school just because there are certain instances that I've experienced in my life where I, I, I at least wish I had the knowledge so that I wouldn't feel so... You know, you get in this, this when you're ever when you're ever in a situation where you're like, I need a lawyer. It'd be really good to just be the lawyer. You know, <laughs> so there's a part of me that's like, oh, I wish I would have done that. But instead of that, I went to India. You know, instead of that, I you know uh, spent six months in India for numerous years, and yeah, our life sometimes diverges from what what plans we think we're going to have. Yeah. Can I just like add one thing? So I, I think I still argue. No, I certainly certainly think that Kino has a great urge for communicating what's in her mind, you know, in that way. So, and I think, uh, and and you're doing that, you're following that that urge. I think it's great. Um, but I do think there's different ways to to. We can we can try to figure out like how do we communicate what's important for us? You know, you can do it by word, written word, and verbal word, or you can do it um, in other ways. You, you know, that's what art is for. You know, a lot. So unless you're a writer, you know, <laughs> or working in theater, perhaps. But um, I used to work in the arts. I used to work in dance. And that is expressing, expressing great urge to communicate, but nonverbal. And I remember in those days, there was a lot of conversation about that um, the, the language in dance is nonverbal. How are we going to uh, stand up for ourselves? You know, how are we going to express what we need in regards to funding from government and things like that? Because we like used to go like this. You know, like, and there are a few ministers of the cultural department mm-hmm. understands that, you know. So, uh, so I think y- y- you can find your way of expressing yourself, you know, and there's many ways. Is that for me? Sure, I'm sure you can find something that Patanjali says about that. Yeah, I'm thinking, you know, we have to define what is union. We have to define what is spirituality. And I think perhaps we could define union as some kind of fulfillment, connecting with ourselves. But what the heck is spirituality? That's way more complicated to define. So um, I find it's very useful to think about it in regards to the eight limbs, which is the kind of definitive how-to of yoga. And if we look to the yamas and the niyamas, and if we proceed, if we act by, if we act according to the yamas and the niyamas, then we are living a spiritual life. It's that simple. So, and if we are not, then, then if we've gone in a different direction, then it's perhaps less spiritual. Um, it, is, it has a different focus. Uh, now, that works for me, 
And that gives, that makes spirituality very concrete. It's not like some state I float around in on a good Sunday afternoon. It is actions that I take uh, with the way I think about things, with the way I treat other people, with my intentions of tomorrow. It is, it is that. Yeah. I think I mean, we're very over time. Oh, last one, maybe? Last question? Okay, last question. I mean, I'm just kind of curious and getting this. I mean, the first time when you had thought you wanted to go to India, mm -hmm. you had that state. I mean, you had a vision. What pushed you to go there? Well, who told you to go to India? It was your decision. Mm -hmm. You wanted to be a teacher <laughs> the first trip, or it was your own journey you wanted yeah. to go and then. Be there and experience, mm -hmm. and then you discover this journey. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. what pushed you to go? Pushed me to go to India. Um, <clears throat> you know, I was practicing in a traditional Mysore-style room, and one day after Samastitihi in New York City, um, I was there, and then the teacher, his name was Govinda Kai, pointed at a picture of Patabi Joyce, and he said. I want to wish these two students, and he pointed at the two students, a, a good trip to India. They leave tonight to go practice with my teacher, Patabi Joyce. And we were, everyone, ah, and I was like, ah, excuse me, I also want to go. I immediately was like, is this a field trip? Like, you know, like, is this, the, do we sign up? Like, I didn't get the notice. I just bought the monthly package. Where's the go to India package? What, you know, and the, the whole, my whole practice, I was, I did the rest of my practice completely focused on that. Which is the whole practice. I was like, where do you sign up? I want to sign up. I wonder you sign up. I'm going to ask about signing up. And they're like, doing Trikonasana. I'm like, I wonder. Oh, he's alive. That's interesting. And I had no focus the whole practice. And as soon as I, like, was level, I like, didn't do a final relaxation, I like, lied there for a second with like, electrical charge. I got up and I'm like, excuse me. You said that the two students are going to India. Where, I also want to go. How do you go? Do we sign? And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I have a, a lot of energy sometimes. And he was in the, and Govinda was like, well, let me show you Patavi Joyce's book. Why don't you read that? And I was like, okay, here's a book. Who knew? I didn't, get, I didn't know that. That's great. I'll totally read his book. And he said, why don't you read his book? And if when you finish the book, you still want to go, then you can go. And then this is how you go. And he gave me the instructions at the back of the book. There's an address and you can write a letter. And if you don't hear back, then you can go. And I was like, great, wonderful. I can read a book in about an hour. So I'm going to get that tonight. And um, you know, when I was in graduate school, I was like, the people were giving, I, like every class I went to, they'd hand me this like brick and be like, this needs to be read by next week. Absolutely. So like, this is like a little thin book. I was like, I got this, no problem. Tomorrow I'm going to buy my ticket. It's going to have a little plan. But I, after I started reading, I got the sense that I maybe shouldn't read it in an hour. So I read in like a week. And then um, at the end of the week, I, the night that I finished the book, I had a dream about Fatabi Joyce. I woke up from the dream and I, I woke up from the dream and I just said, I have to go to India. I wrote the letter that day. I sent the letter. Um, before I heard back, I went and applied for a 10 year visa. Um, I had a lot of faith and I bought my ticket two weeks later because I figured I sent a FedEx letter. So I thought I should have heard back by now if they didn't want me to come. So I bought my ticket and I went for two months. So within two weeks of finishing the book, I had uh, gotten a 10 year visa and um, <laughs> bought a plane ticket with all the money I earned as a journalist. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then I was, then I sublet my apartment in New York for two months and I went to India. So interesting. If someone has told me the story, I wouldn't believe it. <laughs> it's like, really? I mean, from just, 
Yeah. 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 Thank you. For sure. Yeah. Yoga Mala. Yeah. Yoga Mala. This is the Tabi Joe's only book. Yeah. Yoga Mala. You want to share how you ended up in India? That's good. No? You sure? Um, well, my teacher, he uh, always talk, spoke about Guruji. And he was a certified teacher and he always spoke about Guruji. So it was like from the first time I met Lino Mele, it, I, I was turned on to, the, to what we were doing, to the Shtanga Yoga system. So when he said Guruji in India, I was like, I got to go. And then it took me five years to work up the courage. And then mm -hmm. I went. For different people. <laughs> Five years to work up the courage. I'm like, I've been doing yoga for two weeks. Let's go. It'll be great. Awesome. I, I, went to, I met Patavi Joyce when I've been practicing Ashtanga less than a year. You know, almost a year. It was like, it was like 10 months. I was like, hi. I'm from the U.S. Let's do practice. <laughs> I really, and I had no idea what I was getting into. I really didn't. I didn't. I didn't I had no con first first thing that I should say is I had no concept of how spicy the food would be. Zero concept. Just no absolutely no understanding of what spice was. Zero understanding. I have one comment that this is outside. Okay. Uh, did you I mean I know you experienced different things in your life. Did you ever thought about being an actor or <laughs> <laughs> No. Like, no. You're so naturally idiot. Mm. That's why I'm asking this question. I've never you're tried. Are you so strong? Never tried. You're so good and you're funny. Thank you. I Appreciate it. Thank you. I paid her to say that. So, <laughs> then if one last question. Last one. Uh, in these years, uh, was there any moment that you had doubts or like, maybe fell off from practice and questioned? Yeah, I mean, for sure, I think we both have that. But for, for me, I, it's interesting, this will circle back to what we started talking about. Um, when I had only been to India one time, um, maybe it was the second time. The thing was, when I came back, I think for the second time, I started teaching a lot. Um, in here in Miami and you become like a yoga teacher it like what we think of as a yoga teacher is like yeah I'm gonna like do asanas all day and share what I love it's gonna be amazing we're gonna talk about asanas all day and then and like for me the sudden reality was like I have to drive 40 minutes over here to teach a class where no one shows up and then I don't make any money and then I need to drive 45 minutes in the opposite direction to teach a private where definitely they pay me but then they canceled at the last moment so do I charge them or do I not charge them eh, okay I don't charge them then I drive back home I try to do my practice now and this I went I was at a point where I was teaching like 40 classes a week because I just said yes to everything because I, I was also thinking I need to go back to India so I'm going to say yes to everything if this is you know I'm, if I'm now I'm not you know, working as a journalist as much, I'm not getting enough, you know, like other money that's coming in. So I'm just saying yes to everything. And at some moment I was just like, I don't really like practice anymore. I don't like it because I go and teach the student and then I have to demonstrate for the whole hour because they don't understand when I say, raise the hands, they do this. And I was like, no, where else have you been raising your hands? You know, <laughs> that's what you do. Like, like, no, you know, that's not how you raise like, 
no. And, um, and, and then, and, and I, I just got to this point where I was like, mm-hmm. and then I thought, I remembered what Patabi Joy said. He always said, just do sun salutations and standing poses. So I did that. I was like, I'm just going to do that. I did that for a month. And then my parents had a new dogs when my, when they got Emma. And then, um, my parents Labrador, which is the sweetest dog in the whole universe, not really, um, trained, uh, but very sweet. Um, and, uh, the couch potato dog, very sweet. And, and the, so we had this new puppy in the family. So I would do sun station standing pose and we would take Emma for a walk. Um, and so then I did that for like a month. And then at some moment I was just like, I'm gonna start practicing again, like deeper, but I still kept the six day a week practice. I still did sun station standing poses every day, but doubt in terms of the methodology, the method, absolutely over and over again doubt in terms of me, whether I should be a yoga teacher or not all the time. Absolutely. Should I keep doing this? Should I not do this? Now I can think about, should I be an actor? You know, <laughs> usually I'm like, should I be a banker? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, should I, should I actually go to law school and like try to do something like professional <laughs> with my life? So now I can think, now I can add that to the doubt too. Try to be an actor, you know? So the doubt all the time, absolutely all the time, you know, hundred percent doubt the practice, not so much. Doubt my role, absolutely, all the time. Yeah? Yeah, I think doubt is not bad. You know, it makes us look deeper. Uh, We cannot expect everything just to be a honeymoon, you know? So, you know, we start practicing and we start anything and it's super fun. And at some moment, it's like we start to feel saturation. And then as soon as we feel saturated, it's like, what else is there? Should I be doing something else? And I think that's perhaps the time to, that we can, we have the possibility to figure out if we want to learn more, or if we don't want to learn more. So, yeah, like, you know, doubt and skepticism and inquiry and, you know, confusion all the time. I think it's part of the process. Uh, I had one moment when uh, kind of debilitating doubt in, in regards to the practice set in for me, and that's when I realized that Patabi Joyce, that the allegations, the sexual allegations against him was true. First I thought, nah, someone misunderstood, you know, and then over time I started to speak to a lot of friends and I called them and they say, yeah, that happened to me and they happened to me on that date and on that date. And I was like, I was there. I was in the shower and myself with you. It's like, I didn't see, I didn't notice. I was too involved with my own stuff to notice what was going on for you. So at that time I started to think, so Tabi Joyce, who I hold in all this high regard, he did, and it was kind of like the ideal, like some kind of like version of a human being that I was aspiring to be. When that, when he, when that became true, that took me long time, years to come to terms with, and still is. I still trying to uh, to come to terms with. So, uh, yeah. So it, expect some doubt. One last question. Okay, let's do it quick. last last. I watch an interview you practice with Kino, and I feel like I relate a little bit. Because I practice with Asbjorn, yeah. and I teach whatever I teach him, he do much better than me. Oh, yes. <laughs> and when I teach him now, he do better than me. Yes. And when he wakes up, he usually wakes up earlier than me, and sometimes uh-huh. I don't want to practice with him. Yeah. So how do you overcome that when you share the, uh, 
uh, I don't have two private rooms so that we really share. I mean, in practice, private so we share. Right? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we're like, oh my god, I don't want to practice yeah. like <laughs> Whatever I do, whatever I do, she's better than me. Yeah, it's and always. Understand and a lot of energy coming out. I feel like, I am in the morning. I feel so bad. What interview is she talking about? I'm not sure which interview it is. <laughs> I think that moving into yoga for me was a counter move to my previous life. When I worked in the arts, I was extremely ambitious. And with yoga, I'm not. Like yoga is... Um, I used to uh, work in the dance studio, and then I, but then before I would go, I would get on my mat, and that was a space for myself which is one of the reasons I didn't want to teach. This is my little oasis. And then after that, then I had to go out in the world and I had to do all these things that I was very interested in. So the yoga practice has always been something about coming back to myself. So being next to Kino, whose physical potential is, is stronger than mine, has never really been a, a difficult situation for me. It has been a way where, like the, the yoga practice for me, is a place where I go and make sure that my old injuries are taken care of, kept strong, kept flexible, and so forth, and that I go to for reconnecting, so to speak. And for about 10 years, I was doing pranayama. Every day I would wake up at four every day and I would sit and do my own pranayama. And, like, and that was perhaps one of the most significant experiences like of doing yoga tapas. Um, and I had that for myself. Like Kino was not doing that. I had that for myself. Then after that, I would go on my mat. Kino would always go, also go on her mat. But I think it, it, it didn't mess with my self-esteem in that way because I was finding so much for me, for myself in there. Rather than anything. No, no, I think it's natural. You know, like there's a rule. You know, when you go take a Mysore class, never get next to someone that's better than you. You know. <laughs> yeah. <but laughs> because yeah. even when you're good at it, you look like you're not good at it. So just make sure to move your mat to the other end of the room, and you'll be. But the Tim, this is but the. But the but yeah but well, Tim is being too modest with himself also because what I felt what what you're describing with Aspirin I have felt for Tim numerous times when I first started practicing I, like I couldn't I was so weak I couldn't lift up I couldn't do handstand I was obsessed with handstand press I was like I'm gonna do handstand press first of all, I can't even handstand why I want a handstand press so like that's just like it's just like ridiculous you know you can't you can't walk let's try to climb Mount Everest it's completely insane so. But then Tim's doing, he's like a dancer, a choreographer, super like, not really, you know, he's exactly as he describes himself in yoga, like, I come to heal, I do this, and now I go, and he's like, he's working really hard in dance. There's a point where, like, you were doing some dance performance, and then, like, you stopped practicing because you were, you'd get up, and you would go and, like, have meetings, and you'd do the rehearsal, then he'd be up at night, like, watching the rehearsal and making notes for the next day, and I'm like, this is crazy, and um, I'm going to bed, and then... You come back from your dance performance, and then it's like, first practice. Do, 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 get on the mat. 
And he raises his hands, puts his hands down. He presses up into handstands. Yeah, and I was like, I, I like took a yoga block, I threw it at him. <laughs> he was like, "What?" And I was like, "I'm sitting here. I practice three hours every day while you go take meetings with the producer or whatever, and you're there like, like trying to express yourself in your movement. And then like six months goes by, and you practice less and less and less and less, and then you don't practice, and you're up the whole night. Your first practice back, and you press up in the handstand. You know what he said to me? Doesn't count. It was with bent knees. <laughs> so I totally understand. It's irritating. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, I get it. So maybe you never felt that for me, but like. But sorry, let's say you experience the same thing, but another person wouldn't keep the same way. No, I was also irritated. Like, I, I think maybe I share more of like this. Like, I have like, I, I like. So Tim, he was non-attached, so he's in Santosha, so he's he's like in this space. But what you're attached to is irritating. Like when you you're like, I want to do this. So it's the attachment to it that's irritating. When you give your heart and soul to something, and you see someone else exert less effort and get it, it's irritating. It's it's like it's like I killed myself for this. For three hours, and you just did it, like ugh. so. That's normal. So I would just, I would, I completely understand, and I would, I think that's totally normal. And I would just sit with it a little bit, and sooner or later, it'll shift. You know, but you're not a bad person for being that. I, 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 I you know, that's a normal thing. But, but the, if it, so, I would just sit with that when it comes up, and 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 then you know, refocus on what do I focus on in my practice. Yeah, so that's like. As when we get into comparing games, when we get into com comparison, everything gets hard. Yeah. I think they say that there's no happiness yeah. in that state of mind. Mm -hmm. So if you can somehow find a way, it's fine to feel it, but you can redirect yourself to what's essential in your experience. You are, and what you're after is not comparison, it's a distraction. Right. So if you can come back to your values and figure out why am I here and then focus on that, that might give you the counterweight to seeing him lift up in handstands <laughs> or whatever it is that he, he is annoying. But you can always do a keynote, you throw a yoga mat at him, a yoga block, block at him. <laughs> it has to be a phone block, not a cork block. Yeah. <laughs> a phone block, a little thin one. Oh. Times have changed. No, no, no. <laughs> Cork blocks are new. They didn't even make those. Oh, no. But you know, we used to have this conversation when we when we first knew each other because I thought, oh, the perfect body for yoga, like tall, long limbs, very naturally thin, sort of like long muscles, and so like I had this kind of Tim, you have the ideal yoga body. And then Tim would say to me, No, you have the ideal yoga body. Small is compact. And then if you, you know, and then if you know Tim, he always has some very logical reason why. So Tim's reason, I don't know if you remember this, but you said, you see. I am so long, so the amount of time that it takes for my brain to send the signal to my foot means that I will always be less coordinated than you because you're kind of the brain is a faster signal. And I was just like, uh huh. I think I better explain that one more time. <laughs> the grass is always greener. You know what I mean. I, and I, I also used to think, if only I had been a dancer. 
And then Sim was like, if only I hadn't been a dancer, then I wouldn't have this injury, and then this injury, and that injury. So, you know, the grass is always greener. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS. And that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.